glad. Yes, we are glad. I want you to hear the verses of that song in two ways. You are worthy. Did you hear that? You. You are worthy. Each and every one of you are worthy, the, the song told us this morning. And we're glad. Hear that message, that word to us. You are worthy. You know, are you glad? And I want you to hear it another way. Another way that word you is individual and that word you is plural. You are worthy. All together. You are worthy. Oh, thank you. Join right in. <laughs> oh, you are worthy, each and every one, but everybody together is worthy. You know, sometimes in church life, not just church life, in life all around, we have trouble believing those two truths. First, that we are worthy, but also that everybody else is worthy too. You know, that neighbor over there, worthy. That person who disagrees with me, worthy. You know, and God's love, worthy. So, yes, I hear that from myself. And yes, I hear that for everyone gathered here. And everyone not gathered here, that the song sings, you, you, plural, you all are worthy. And, boy, you know, boy, that's just a challenge. We got that in the scripture this morning. Paul is writing a letter to the Romans. And the Romans was this wonderful community trying to live together in all their diversity trying to live together in all their diversity. And they were having some challenges with it. You know, if you can get a clue from it from this little scripture part. In the book of Romans, beautiful language about God loving us no matter what. Nothing separates us from the God of love. And this comes after all of that wonderful affirmation about God's love for us. He's, Paul starts to say, yeah, but y'all still aren't getting it. That God's love is for each and every one of us. Because you're not treating each other the way you need to. And there must have been two problems going on. One was money, because the first part of this verse is, oh, nothing to anyone. You know, so, so there was something about money going on. And there was also something about how they were treating each other. You know, oh, nothing to anyone but love. You know, oh, nothing to anyone but love. And that sums up everything. Oh, nothing to anyone but love. Very few words that take our whole lives to try and live out. But love, oh, the neighbor, love. And then Paul says, I don't think you're really getting it still. So let's go back to some basics, right? You know, and essentially he says, keep your hands to yourself and your zipper up. Did you hear that? You know, essentially, you know, if that is someone else's loved one, respect it. You know, respect that covenant, respect that relationship, whatever it may be and whatever it looks like to you. You know, respect it. Don't steal from each other. Don't take from each other. Don't kill one another. You know, you really go into the basics when you go back down to don't kill one another. You know, and then also don't even want what other people have. You know, it's a good southern way of saying that. Don't go hankering after what's not yours whether it's a person or whether it's stuff. So Paul's engaging the Romans on this very, very, very real issue of how are they with one another. And he goes back to some core values because they have such diversity, they don't know how to live with each other yet. He says, love your neighbor. Because you see, there are Christian Jews in the church of Rome, and there are Christian Gentiles in the church of Rome. And the Gentiles and the Jews part is taken over the Christian part. And they're not loving each other in the way 
that Paul is expecting them to love one another. So there's this community of people who are very different, and they haven't learned yet. They haven't learned yet what it is to be a community together, what it means to actually have inclusion. One of our core values in the Metropolitan Community Churches, and that's what our focus is today, is on inclusion. And how do we really do that? And do we really do that? Do we love our neighbor in the way that God's asking us to, and that Paul's reminding us to? And do we sometimes have to go really back to the basics of what does it mean to love our neighbor? Because sometimes we forget, because we know our way is the right way. And we know the way to really be a good neighbor is to help them see our way, because then if they see our way, then they will be okay. And then they can be included. You see how that works? You know? It's not the way Paul is talking about it, though. So imagine this community that's torn between different ways of being Christian because of their past, because of their culture, because of who they are ethnically. They have differences of opinion about what's going on. And Paul's writing this letter into that moment. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. He takes them to the basics, and at the very end of that passage, he says, and stay awake. Stay awake, because it's easy to forget the basics. Stay awake. Please stay awake. And so those challenges aren't just theirs, but I think those challenges are ours today, too. When we talk about what inclusion is from exclusion, you know, if you ask someone what is inclusion, often they'll tell you a story of when they were excluded. I know what inclusion is because I didn't feel it this time, or that time, or the other time. And so I know what inclusion is because I felt not being included at some point in my life. And that's often the case when you ask them, tell me what inclusion is, and, and they'll tell you a story about when they weren't included. And so I want to talk about some things inclusion is not. And this, I found this wonderful little graph. Inclusion is not exclusion, where you have one group in the center and the other group around and no one inviting them in, no one loving them as neighbor. Inclusion is not separation where you have one group in one area and one group in another area, where they found each other, but they haven't been able to cross Gentile to Jew. They haven't been able to be with one another. And then we got this wonderful thing, integration, where you actually just kind of plop one group in the middle of another group, but you still really don't connect with one another. You still stay separate. You still don't go to brunch with each other. You're still not building relationships with one another. You know, and that's that wonderful thing called integration. That's a really low bar, and it's not what Paul is asking us to do. You know, inclusion is when we actually start to build relationships across those differences with each other. Inclusion is not, I see no difference. Okay? Inclusion is not that there are no differences. Inclusion sees the differences, knows their differences, and works to build relationships in the midst of the differences. Inclusion is not, I can use your difference for my gain. Inclusion is not tokenism. Inclusion is not getting one young adult in the middle of a bunch of 60-year-olds and saying that's good. You know, Inclusion is bigger than these things, and it takes more time and energy than we sometimes want to give it. We'd rather just tokenize someone We'd rather just stay in our own group and integrate a little, but really not build those relationships. And what Paul is yearning for the church in Rome is to be able to step beyond the boundaries they have because of their own cultures and their own histories, to be able to hope for their neighbor, their neighbor's best, 
to be able to do that kind of inclusion, yearning for God to be in the middle of it and find a way, to find a way where you're including one another, regardless if you disagree on politics or ideology or how much to spend at lunch, regardless of whether you disagree, how do you build relationships that are deeper than the disagreement? So in MCC, we think this is so important because we have such trouble with it, as the early church did, that we have one of our four core values of the church is inclusion. And if you don't know the four values of our church, you could look in your bulletin on page five. It's there every Sunday. Our values are inclusion, community, spiritual transformation, and social action. Those are the four values that our church goes back to whenever we make new decisions, those four values. And for over the next four Sundays, we're going to be picking one for each Sunday, and this Sunday is inclusion. And this is what the definition of inclusion is. It's in your bulletin. It's also in, on our church website, and it might be hard to read, but it goes like this. Inclusion. Love is our greatest moral value, and resisting exclusion is a primary focus of our ministry. We want to continue to be conduits of faith where everyone is included in the family of God and where all parts of our being are welcomed at God's table. That's huge. That's a work in progress. That's a work we continue to do until we breathe our last breath because it takes our whole lives to do so. Notice how even in our definition of an exclusion, we talk about what it's not. We say we're going to reject exclusion because we know what exclusion looks like. It's easier to see that and know what that is. Now, Reverend Frida Smith, Reverend Elder Frida Smith, knew what exclusion was. She knew that he did not mean she, and she knew that the language needed to be changed. She knew that man did not mean woman, and she knew the language needed to be changed. So she said, I was a pain in the neck, and she stood up there every time, making it a long meeting, but they, that group of majority men, as she said, there were only a handful of women, voted each time, overwhelming, yes, change, yes, change, yes, change. We're not there yet, but we have the vision for what inclusion might be, yes, change. Frida kept getting up and up and up. And then in her head, she was still living with experience with the culture she grew up in. She was a, a Salvation Army cadet. And she knew in that culture that there was a strict hierarchy of ranks and levels. And she knew, did you hear her say it? You can't go from rabble rouser to the top of the heap. That's not possible. Have you ever lived life that you have to go rung by rung by rung by rung? We have a wonderful song in uh, some church folk tradition called Jacob's Ladder. Do you all know the song? Climbing Jacob's Ladder. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. Every rung gets higher, higher. You know, the problem with that song for me is, my goodness, climbing. Sometimes in our culture, climbing means climbing over people. Sometimes climbing means only one person can fit on the ladder at a time. Sometimes climbing means you have to leave some others behind. And that's what Frida understood as hierarchy. That's what she understood. So how could she go from being rabble-rouser up to an elder in that moment? And where the clip stopped was at the end of it, she says, and I was terrified of what would happen next. Well, there's a different song I want you to hear today. It's called Sarah's Circle. It's based on the same tune as Jacob's Ladder, and I invite you to Sing it once you've got the, the tune with you. But the song is of Jacob's Slider, but it goes like this. And this is the song I think the church was singing 
Sarah, um, Frida's experience was still with the latter, but when they kept voting yes, 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 and hey, why don't you be an elder, they were singing a different kind of song that she wasn't familiar with yet. So hear these words and join in when you're able. We are dancing Sarah's circle. back to the basics and start singing in circles rather than climbing ladders. And if you've ever done the dance to this song, you actually start in a small circle and as you go around the room, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You actually embody the spread of inclusion. You embody the openness of the circle. And that's what I find trouble with even those four pictures I showed you. The last one that showed inclusion with everyone gathered inside the circle, that circle should not have a solid line. It should have space in it. For people to come and go because inclusion also allows for freedom or some sort of organic growth and movement among the people. Well, Frida just began the work and we continue the work. And so the church went on and, and they formed an inclusive language task force. And one of our own folks was able to be on that task force. And I want to invite her forward with me to talk about that just a bit. Annette, come over here. Oh, do you have your, do you have a microphone on? No. Yes, go. Come over here. So first, Tell us, how in the world did you get in that place of being on that task force? I don't know, short straw maybe? A short sure. straw. Um, Were you terrified I, like Frida was? I, I was uh, a little nervous. I, had, I was working in the church at that point in time here in Houston. I had been lay delegate. I had traveled for a year and a half around the United States visiting MCCs with an evangelistic group. So when the elders started to select individuals to participate, they looked for folks who had experience and who were actively involved. So um, from clergy and laity. And I had, uh, thankfully, the opportunity to be a part of that. Uh, it was scary. It was scary. It was scary. And it was 1979. 1979. Okay. What did you find to be the greatest challenge? The greatest challenge? I was 32, so it's been more than a lifetime ago. Um, I was very brave, and I thought, you know, I knew everything. Uh, all would be great. Of course. And I had my own convictions walking into that room, and what I found that language for each other became the biggest barrier. 
because very quickly when we were in that closed room together, we became radical feminists. We became uh, radical uh, fundamentalists and fence riders. Um, we had probably, the greatest challenge was learning to shut our mouths and listen and really hear the perspective that others brought into that group. Uh, when we were able to do that, we started to pray more than we talked to hmm. each other. Uh, we started to realize that this was about God's purpose for this church, hmm. not our desire for this church. And as, that, as we took that on, hmm. things began to smooth and it wasn't flawless, it wasn't without pain, but it was productive. And in 1981, uh, that policy created with that group of people from all over was adopted in a policy of UFMCC right here in Houston. And so what one of the group were you? Were you the radical fundamentalist, the radical feminist? I got really dizzy sitting on that fence. <laughs> <laughs> I think there were two or three of us in that group that in were, that group. were um, moderates. I believe we can come together. And you had to build trust. And yes, yep. we had to build trust. So that was the challenge. What emerged from the group or surprised you? It surprised me, frankly, looking at the beginning, that we got there. Oh. But we only got there, and we need to be way over here. Okay. And what I have learned in the last 35 years since that time is that there is so much more to be done around the area of inclusion um, I am now on the task force with Frida Smith, uh, an advisory council with a fellowship for people over age 50. So we continue that journey along, and I've learned that there are so many areas where people are excluded. There are so many groups of people that are excluded, not deliberately, but there are things happening that make pe people feel not part of. And for me, as long as I live, that will be a challenge for me. We change, our language needs to change, our focus needs to change, but it always needs to be on making every person welcome and included, fully included in this ministry. And language helps shape our reality. Yes. And whether we realize that. Thank you, thank you, Annette, for being around. for being there in the middle when people are tearing at you from both sides, from someone hoping to love your neighbor fully, both neighbors, all the neighbors, as God wants us to love those neighbors. And the recognition of our denomination that inclusive language is important because that language does shape our reality. And so you'll hear us here in worship using eternal mother and father. You'll hear us using language across the board of different names for God. You'll hear us using hundreds and hundreds of names, many names for God, because the scripture is chock full of them. And what we have for you as you leave today, if you look at the tables and any of the exits, we have the flyer from our denomination of what it means to use inclusive language and why we do it. And in the flyer itself are actually 200 scriptural names for God that are inclusive for us. So it's an important journey that we are on. And you may not think it's that important, but I don't know. I developed a liturgy at a church I serve for communion for a women's group that met. And then they wanted to use that liturgy on Sunday morning. And to be inclusive, we said, this is a good thing for our church. 
We got a lot of men in this church and women in this church that need to experience this. So when I wrote the liturgy for their women's group, I used Rebecca and Rachel and Sarah and Deborah and all of the names of women in the Bible I could find. Every single one of those women's names were in that liturgy. And so as we had an intern who did the communion that Sunday, her name was Alicia. And as Alicia got up there and did the communion, and we had all women on the front of the church. And so I was sitting down here, and I was listening to it. And about three-fourths of the way through the liturgy, I thought, oh, my God. I'm not included. Oh, my God. This is what it feels like. Oh, my God. I wrote that liturgy. I'm not included. I love Alicia, but I'm not included. And what does it mean for any of our people to hear our language and hear our words and know from them in that very moment that they're not included? That one experience on one Sunday was what people experienced their whole lives. A co-pastor of mine told the story of her daughter, Lindsay Meeker-Williams, and Lindsay's mother, Marilyn, had been a pastor in many, many little churches where she was the solo pastor, okay? And so she did the sermon every Sunday. And at, the, at, at one occasion, she got into a little bit larger church. And so there was an associate that was a man at the church. And then this Sunday, that associate got up to preach on the Sunday. And Lindsay grabs her mom and says, is it okay for that man to be in the pulpit? Is it okay for that man to be in the pulpit? And we laugh because we know the truth. We know how many times it's been the opposite? Is it okay for that woman to be in the pulpit? Inclusion is an important thing for us, and gender is only one of the things we work on. So many other things that we have to work on for inclusion. I want to read this one clip from a visitor who came to see us. Good afternoon. I felt compelled to contact you after my first visit with your congregation last Sunday. I came in support of my best friend who has recently started attending and wanted my opinion. I was raised as a Southern Baptist in a small town in Southeast Texas, and he was raised in the same in Austin. Coming to your service, I expected to feel a bit uncomfortable, more so because I am quite the introvert and new people and situations are incredibly intimidating for me, but also because of the many differences I was expecting. When he came out to me, I was not exactly surprised. I've had several other LGBT friends and family members, so I guess I knew, but I wanted it not to be true because I had fallen in love with him. As you can imagine, our friendship had difficult times of transition, but we, it was a catalyst of growth for both of us. All of that is to say, when he told me about your congregation, I was so happy to hear him say he enjoyed your services because I have heard reports on every church he had visited and even gone with him to visit a few before, and many of those were not positive. Sunday walking in, I could feel a difference that was comforting. I wanted to pass this along as an encouragement to you. If a social anxiety-ridden, straight, ex-Baptist woman can feel a peace in your house of worship, you are allowing God to use you in a way that our world desperately needs. What a beautiful community you have, a precious gift in our world. I will continue to pray for your church as you continue to share God's love in a real and relevant way. Would it be so that we loved our neighbor enough 
that we hoped for our neighbors best enough, that this is their experience, not just here, but everywhere we are. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.